Turn to First Samuel chapter eight. I know that it's warm in here, and that's some of why we had you try to kind of not open up every external door just to see if that would help us trap some of the cool air. I don't know if it worked or not, but uh, thanks for hanging in there. Uh, it's just one of those Louisiana days when it's just how it goes. Thank you for. Um, your willingness to just participate, and you know, when we come in and we're like, hey, we're going to pray tonight, you know, and everybody's like, okay, that's fine. Hey, we're going to sing now, we're going to stand now, we're going to do whatever now. It's always just very fun to be able to just see where God wants to take us on, a, on an evening and kind of maybe change things up and do things differently, and so I'm always grateful that uh, I don't have to worry about, like, people grumbling or, you know, that kind of stuff, that we can do different things and it's received well, and um, last week kind of took our summer community group concepts and have just extended it into the first part of the school year, um, looking at uh, the things that uh, are contributing to our discontent as um, just as people and uh, some of the, the things about life where sometimes you're just like, man, I just, I'm just not, I'm not happy about stuff, you know, and um, I'm frustrated with this, uh, whatever, um, Our discontent is when we come up short of what Jesus would have in mind for abundant life, you know, for fullness in Him. Um, Could be different areas of life, and that's, you know, that's fine. So over the summer, we we took different ones of our small groups, and we looked at materialism and, uh, you know, just discontentment within, like, our possessions and how sometimes you just kind of, you just want other stuff, you know, and it's... What do we do with that? We know that's not, we know that's not how, what kingdom living looks like, so how do we deal with that? We, we looked at relationships and how there's a lot of times just uh, a lack of contentment in some of those things. Um, we looked at a, a career and work, and that seems to be a big theme with our congregation of just um, maybe just kind of struggling with uh, maybe hating what you do, maybe hating your job, maybe... Uh, just kind of feeling like maybe I made the wrong choice of careers and some of those kinds of things, and you know, you're like I know God, I know God didn't create me to do to do that necessarily, and so we've just kind of been looking at some of those things. Um, we're using this story of Israel in First Samuel eight because Israel was a very uh, they were a very up and down nation, and they struggled with contentment a lot, uh, just corp- corporately. And there are a lot of things we can learn from them. I think that's part of why we have this stuff in front of us. Um, so contributing to our discontent, last week we looked at comparison. And um, let's, look at the, let's look in the story just a, just a little bit so we can kind of see where, contextually where this is coming from. Um, look at verse 1 in 1 Samuel 8. When Samuel became old, he made his sons, his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, the second uh, Abijah. Uh, they were judges in Beersheba. And his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. All right, so they had bad leadership in Israel. All right, and that, that contributed to some of this unhappiness as a nation. Verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel 
who was their, he was their prophet. Like he was the mouthpiece through which God spoke and led his people. Um, they came to him and said to him, Behold, you are old. <laughs> like, thanks. Uh, just in case you didn't know, you're old. Um, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. So now then obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them all the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So then Samuel goes into this explanation. He's like, okay, I know that you want a king. Let me tell you all the terrible things that, are gonna, this, that an earthly king are going to bring into your reality. And uh, so he describes all this stuff in the next few verses. And look at verse 19. After this lengthy explanation, he says that the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. So, so we, last week we looked at comparison. And so the contributing to their discontentment was the fact that they looked at the other nations around them and like, man, all these guys have a king, like an earthly king who you know, has a, probably a capital city and probably a palace and a throne. And, and what he says goes, and people can go to him and talk to him and deal with him. And uh, so they were comparing themselves to all the other countries, and they said, we want to be like them. And as they looked around, and they kind of looked at their own situation, they're like, man, they've got these guys that are they're Samuel's kids, and they're not, they're not too great. And it sort of just, like, just festered, you know, and grew. And it made them very unhappy because they were comparing themselves to other, other nations around them. So that was, that was last week, and so go listen to that podcast. Um, but the thing about these weeks connecting is this, is that the, when we are comparing, something is planted within us. It's like a seed gets planted when we're comparing ourselves to other people, other places, other churches, other whatever. There's a seed that gets planted, and the seed that then grows into a plant, and the plant is idolatry. That's where you're. It's where a lot of it is birthed, is in comparison. So this week connects to last week. So the plant of idolatry is, is planted in the seeds of comparison, and they branch together, and so next thing you know, you have this thing that has grown. So they begin to look at all the other nations around them, begin to think, man, I wonder, what if we had a king? I wish we had a king. These guys, these guys are terrible. That nation has a king, and he goes and fights their battles for them, and all this kind of stuff. That sure would be great. And it got planted, and next thing you know, there's this idolatrous idea that has emerged in, in their community, and now it's spread, and now they had a, apparently had a meeting, and all the elders go to Samuel representing the people. And so this is, this is like a, a garden of idolatry now that has come from that comparison. And we're kind of the same way. We can't talk about idolatry without talking about where it comes from, and for a lot of us, it's from seeing how we stack up to other people. So, 
idolatry, let, let me talk about what that is first. Um, I grew up in uh, Southern Baptist church settings, and uh, when uh, a lot of my experience growing up, we did a lot of Old Testament stuff in Sunday school. So you'd come in, there'd be a lesson, lots of maps on the wall, you know, that kind of stuff. And so uh, we never used the maps, but they were always there, you know. Um, and when you would talk about idols, uh, things like the Exodus, you know, when they're waiting at the bottom of the mountain and they all throw all their jewelry in and, like, make a cow, you know, to worship, that, you know, that comes to mind. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, that kind of thing. Worshiping Baal, you know, that was a big one. Um, uh, the Asherah poles, you know, there's just all this stuff that's in there. And so my understanding of idolatry for most of my life was, is there an, some sort of carving or formed metal face or, you know, something that's there, uh, you know, the, the body of one animal with the head of a different animal, those kind of things. And are, are we going to gather around, bow to it, pray to it, ask, would you bless us, you know, are we going to worship like a something? And so, for a lot of my life, I was like, "Well, idolatry really isn't a problem for me because I'm not going to go to a temple and bow to some statue." You know, and and having the opportunity to travel in different parts of the world and seeing that kind of stuff, there's no part of me that ever is like, "Man, I wonder if that's real." You know, no, that's just never been a thing for me. So, if you if that's your understanding of what an idol is, an idolatry, then we need to to recognize the the full scope of what was really going on there. Um, and so let me, let me say a few words about idolatry and then give like a, a kind of how, how it happens. See, when we think about idols, God designed everything to function in a, in a certain way and to play a, a very specific role. So in his making of the world and people and uh, his kingdom and all these kind of things, everything is very strategic He's, there's a lot, a lot of precision with him. There aren't things that are random. And so, um, you know, we'd, we look around at creation, and so the mountains and the trees and the sun and uh, rain and all that kind of stuff is supposed to play a role. Uh, food is supposed to play a role. Possessions are supposed to play a role. Money plays a role. Uh, humans, we play roles with one another. God, um, everything is really specific with him. So what idolatry is, is idolatry is when we come in and we, we think that we are a better designer of things than God is. We're like, yeah, and I know that you created trees to play this role, but I think I know a little bit better, and I think a tree should play this role. I know that you designed money to play this role, but I think money should play this role. I, I know you designed uh, a spouse to play this role, but I think you should play this role. And so it's us really challenging the, the, the strategic, specific, sovereign, perfect design of God and saying, we know better. And so we take these things and we make them play a role that they weren't designed to play. So it's not even the idol's fault, you know. If you take a, you take a tree stump and you carve a very spectacular eagle out of it and you begin to worship it, it's not the tree stump's fault. You're making that tree stump and that carving play a role it was not designed to play. So idolatry, is, it's, it's our fault. It's, it's our creation. It's our challenging of God's design. And what happens is we, we ultimately get to where we are looking to an idol 
to do something that God was supposed to do himself. That's the ultimate working out of, of idolatry is God saying, I'm going to play this role. And we say, no, I don't think you need to play that role, God. I think this person should or this thing should or whatever. And so instead of looking to God for things, we look to people or whatever for things. And it gets flipped upside down. And then we're all confused. Because when you misuse something, when, you're, when something was designed a specific way and we use it the opposite way, everything gets confusing and upside down. And then there's all this dissonance within us. And then this discontentment pops up. Next thing you know, you're like, man, I hate everything and everyone. And I can't figure out why. And it's like, oh, well, because you're trying to redesign stuff. So idols, we look to them to play a role they aren't supposed to play. And I don't want you to turn to it, but we're going to put it on the, on the screen. Um, and I, normally I, I don't like to do this, like take like one verse out of context. But I'm not kidding you. It, we would need weeks to establish the context of Romans 1, okay? So I'm going to pull this out of context on purpose, all right? Because uh, we don't have weeks tonight. We have a little bit of time. Uh, we would all dehydrate if we stayed here for weeks. So um, this verse, Romans 1.25, out of context, helps us, though, understand idolatry. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who's blessed forever. Amen. This is, what, this is what is happening when we worship idols. I'm going to do a little, a little illustration here. Last time I did something like this, I wound up standing on the communion table. I will not do that tonight. But I'm going to, I know, I'm sorry. Maybe later. I'm not going to do the ice bucket challenge right now either, by the way. Okay, so this is an awesome metal cross. This is a less awesome, fake, <laughs> cheap Rubik's Cube. It's not really a Rubik's Cube, but it's, you know, I'll call it a Rubik's Cube. And I just went into the office, and I was like, what's the most random thing I could find? Some promotional company or something sent it to us, so that's what that's going to be. So, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. There's two big things that happen with idolatry. The first one, if, you're, if you want to take notes, here's the first one, is there's an exchange that happens. So let's let this awesome iron cross represent the truth about God. Okay, in the verse. Exchange the truth about God for a lie. All right? So there's a, a, literally a swapping out that happens. An exchange. So Indiana Jones style, I'm going to take this and swap this out. Right there. Now, do you remember that scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark? Got the little idol there. He comes in. He's got the bag of dirt or sand or something. And he's trying to judge them because it has to be the right weight. And he takes some of, the, some of the sand or dirt out or whatever. And he makes the exchange. And then they don't weigh the same. And then he gets chased by a boulder. Remember that part? <laughs> that, that swap and that exchange... These things, they aren't the same. They don't weigh the same. They don't carry the same amount of weight. They aren't designed to be the same thing. But this is what happens. There's an exchange. We exchange the truth of God, okay, which is there for a lie, which is a Rubik's Cube. Okay? And then what happens? Then it says that they worshipped it and they served it. 
So first there's an exchange, and then there's worship. The word worship uh, rooted in the idea of worth. Worth-ship is what it used to be. And so now that, that exchange has happened, instead of truth, now there's a lie. And then there's a serving and a worshiping, a worth-ship that's placed on this. And that's how idolatry happens. All right? So in, let's take the example of Israel. So in Israel, the truth is, the truth from God is that he wants to be their king. That's what we see. Uh, you don't have to look at it necessarily. But the Lord says to Samuel, give them what they want. Remember, they've rejected me from being king over them. The truth of God is that he's going to be the king of Israel. That they're going to be different than every other nation. That he will guide them in strength and holiness and power and goodness. That he will redeem them and heal them and fight for them and protect them and guide them. And that he will be their everything. That's the truth. And they got together and they said, that is not the design that we want. From comparing themselves to other places, they said, "We, we want that. So they exchanged that truth for a lie like this that says an earthly king is better than that. And even though Samuel's like, this situation, he's going to come in and he's going to mess up all your families and all your crops and, and all this injustice and all these terrible things are going to happen. And yet, because of that exchange in their minds, in their thinking, they began to worship this and serve this. And so, to the point of them coming to Samuel and saying, we don't care what you say. This is what we are devoting ourselves to. And until this happens, we will not be a legitimate nation. We will not be led well. We will not be able to fight our battles. We will not be able to exist until this is happening. And Samuel is just, his mind is blown because he's like, do you realize that's a Rubik's Cube? You know, like that's a ridiculous scenario that you've exchanged it for, but they were serving it and worshiping it. That's how idolatry happens. So let me walk us through a couple of examples. So we, Romans one twenty-five will keep being our example here in Israel. Um, let me give you a couple of ways that this shows up in our lives that contributes to our discontentment. Contributes to us not living in the fullness of God's design and in His kingdom. Um, and there are a lot of different ways to break things down. I decided to go the, uh, the obvious way of grammar. Not really obvious, but um, in like categorically, idolatry happens in uh, nouns and verbs. In nouns and verbs, so person, place, thing, idea, action. So you're taking notes. It'll be five five illustrations: person, place, thing, idea, action. Is the verb. Now, you may be able to find yourself in your discontentment, in your unhappiness, in one of these things. Start with the first one. Let's start with, with person. Um, I was thinking about this. This is a, such, a, such a huge one for us. Um, you know, there are, there are movies that are super quotable. Like, every other, every other line, every other, I mean, they're just filled, filled with great quotable Lines. When I was in high school, like Wayne's World was like quoted constantly, and I've if I watch it now, I'm just like this is the worst thing ever. But at the time, it was just so so funny. And then Dumb and Dumber kind of like came in later on, and 
Even Napoleon Dynamite has so many quotable lines in it. But then there are movies that they don't have a ton of quotable dialogue. They'll have two or three really notable like moments. And uh, Jerry Maguire is one of those movies, right? So you have like the the little kid, the cute little kid that said like human head weighs what is it like three pounds or something? Six pounds? How many pounds? Somebody knows that quote. Eight pounds. See, busted. Uh, Human head weighs eight pounds. That little kid was famous for like a month (laughs) uh, after that. Um, But that's one of the lines that stands out. Show me the money. You know, one of probably Cuba Gooding Jr.'s like best like scenes ever is when like that exchange is going on. Show me the money was real famous. But then there's this like in the love scene, like the love scene. That's weird. The love story part of the (laughs) storyline. Truth about God. Okay. Um, and, oh, the, there's this really intense scene, and Tom Cruise is all emotional and whatever. And, um, and it's Renee Zellweger. Is that, who, is that who's the Bridget Jones? Is that who it is? Okay. So um, he's pouring his heart out, and he's saying all these, like, whatever's to her, and he's, like, just all passionate. And then he says, he looks at her, and he says, you what? Complete me. You complete me. That is an idolatrous statement. Not that I'm here to slam the movie or the writers or whatever, but that is idolatry. That is relationship idolatry right there. So the exchange, uh, exchange the truth of God for a lie. The truth about God is, is who, who is our completer? Him. He makes us whole. He is there to... Be our everything. He defines us. He loves us. He has redeemed us. He is everything to us. That's the truth about God. And in that scene, there is a, we see that an exchange has happened. There's been an exchange for that reality. It's been exchanged and swapped out for a lie. And the lie, in that particular case is him saying, you complete me. We're worshiping an idol when we look at something and say, you complete me. When God has created us to be completed by him, we say, I've designed this better than you. I'm completed by you. This could be a spouse. This could be a, a kid. This could be a family. Sometimes people go from feeling incomplete until they're dating someone, and then they feel incomplete until they're engaged, and then they feel incomplete until they're married, and then they feel incomplete until they have a kid, and then they feel incomplete until they have another kid, and then they feel incomplete until uh, those kids grow up, and those kids get married, and then they feel incomplete until those kids who are married give grandkids to them, and that kind of stuff. There's just this ongoing thing that God never intended for us to be completed there. Never intended for your spouse or your kids or your grandkids or, or your friends or your community group or whatever to, I, to complete your identity. You're making them play a role they aren't supposed to play. In that scene, Tom Cruise's character is making her character play a role that she's not supposed to play. And it's not her fault, it's his fault because there's been an exchange. He's now thinking incorrectly about that role. 
And so people, when we exchange that, we begin to look for our identity and our worth and our value and our uh, status and whatever in someone else. That is idolatry. All right? So in the noun category, that's persons, right? Places, that's kind of the second one. This one, maybe it probably didn't seem quite as relevant, but um, places can be idols too. So the truth about God, about any sort of place, is that God made that place. God made that place to point to Him. That's what, that's what nature is for. That's what, uh, that's what food is for. That's what uh, anything created by anyone, a, a beautiful home, a, uh, the, the architecture of any sort of uh, campus or whatever. Even, even Tiger Stadium, right, was designed to point to the Lord. Now, very few people there walk in there like, man, God is awesome, you know. But that's the thing. God not only redeems people and ideas and emotions and things like that, He also redeems places. So the truth is, whatever place you're thinking of, um, God made that place to point to Him. So sometimes we do. We exchange that truth for the lie that, that man, the beach really just like, it fills my soul. You know, the mountains really, they just, they replenish me. Tiger Stadium is like, that's what I, I live for going into that place. I absolutely cannot wait because it completes me in some weird way. Now, you'd probably never say that. No one's like, hey, let's go, worship, let's go worship the stadium, you know. But if it's not playing the role God designed it to play, that's what's happening. Person, place, thing, that's another one. Uh, Things, this is, is another, like, I think people and things are probably, like, neck and neck as far as, like, most idolized, you know, stuff in America. Um, things, how, what's the truth about God regarding the things? Well, uh, God made them. God uh, entrusts us with things. God entrusts you with money, whether a little bit or a lot. Uh, it's all His, so He looks at you and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to entrust this much money to you. Because uh, I want your needs to be met. And I want you to create margin within that. Uh, maybe huge margins, maybe small margins. But within those, that extra stuff, I want you to take care of the needs of other people. Um, so I want you to steward your money well. I want you to steward your house well. I want you to steward your vehicle well. If, if you have a vehicle, if, um, whatever, whatever it is. Steward your watch well. Steward your Whatever it is, whatever you have. Uh, that's how God, that's what a thing is supposed to do. Um, the exchange that happens, we exchange that truth for the lie that our things define us, that, um, that our wardrobe connects to our identity, you know? That, uh, like, uh, that the way that you look, your style, you know, your appeal... That that is a defining quality for you. Maybe if you wear this, then, you know, then you'll look desirable somehow to other people. That's idolatrous thinking. That, like, man, if I could get this house or this car or make this amount of money or do this or do this or do this, people will think I'm cool. People will think I'm successful. My spouse will think I'm awesome if I look this way or dress this way or provide this kind of life for family, all those kinds of things. Those are idolatrous statements and perspectives on our possessions. 
We're making those things play a role they weren't supposed to play when that's the case for us. Person, place, thing, idea. Um, ideas can a lot of times show up in... Uh, so the right way to think about ideas would be like um, God's really sovereign over your life. This kind of connects last week. He's sovereign over your life. He has you right where he wants you. Um, his, his plan for you is being executed and walked out. You, you just have to trust him. Um, all those kind of things about his sovereignty and his perfect shepherding of our lives. We exchange that truth sometimes for various ideas that usually show up in our fantasy lives. Not fantasy football, not Dungeons and Dragons. Like the stuff that you sit around and daydream about regarding how your life should look differently. You, you fantasize about being in, a, being in a different place, maybe living somewhere else or being in a different relationship or your relationship looking differently. And so you dream and you, you kind of make stuff up. And what happens is there becomes this thing of like, until this is what my life looks like, until it looks like this, I am incomplete. I have not arrived. God has not blessed me. He does not love me until this is the case. And so I'm going to sit around and I'm going to fantasize and I'm going to dream about this. I'm going to make up these things and I'm going to live in this other reality because I hate my current reality. Because I know better than him. I'm going to force those ideas to play the role I think they're supposed to play. That's idolatry. Last one. Actions. God says, this is how you need to live your life. In word and in deed. This is how you carry yourself. This is a pursuit of holiness. These are, are sinful actions that bring pain and destruction. And they are not how I designed you. I designed you to live a holy life as I am holy. I will train you in that. Uh, I will grow you in that. You will not be the same today uh, as you are in a month if you let me, let me grow you, let me shepherd you, let me lead you, let me guide you. Trust me, you are made to be holy. I designed you to be holy. And sometimes we take that idea and we exchange it for something else that says, well, if I, could, if I just do this action, then I'll, then I'll be happy. I don't care about holiness. I don't care about how he designed me. I don't care whatever. I know better than him. He says that holiness is going to make me content and joyful and happy, and I know that this is going to make me happy. And even if it's just just very, very temporary, and even if I feel terribly about everything afterwards, I don't really care. That's idolatry. So all these things, this paints a different picture than am I going to bow down to some sort of wood carving, you know? It's different than that. What Romans 1 tells us is that this is the root of all of our problems. This is, that, this is what's going on all the time. It's idolatry. It's, I know better than you, God. It's, until you make my life look like this, I'm incomplete, the inverse of Jerry Maguire's statement when he says, you complete me, the inverse of that is, without you, I'm incomplete. And that's the heartbeat of all this kind of stuff. We say, until this Rubik's Cube is my reality, I am not complete. And whatever I have to do to worship that and give myself to it and pursue it, I'm going to do because I think I know better. Because I think God is doing a pretty cruddy job. 
That's idolatry. It probably starts when you maybe compared yourself to someone else. That's where idols come from. And that's what it looks like. And that's how it happened. And so we go in reverse. So in the Old Testament, there's a lot of like God telling, go destroy the idols. Go tear them, like tear them down. When I got to go to Israel a few years ago, we were in a, a place where we are standing around this, this giant, I mean massive, like, like stone circle deal. Like probably like as, as big as this room. A huge flat platform that was maybe four feet tall and just huge. And at one point in time, they said they had this, this idol on it that they would worship in this part of Israel. That the, not the Israelites, but the other nation, other beliefs. They would worship it, and it was like a, it was like a person with their arms flat like this. And they would build these fires around the idol, and they would get it where it was red hot. And then they would take a baby and lay it on the arms of the, of the idol as a sacrifice. And they would dance around it, and they would sing to it, and they believed wholeheartedly that whatever was going to happen was going to happen. And it's so easy for us to be like, man, that's crazy talk. But then we go and we build our lives around a Rubik's Cube of lies. You know, It's so silly. So we destroy them by recognizing, how am I giving myself to lies? And what is the truth of God? And will you, will you undo the exchange? We say, I've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And we come to the Lord and we say, well, will you take that lie out and put your truth back in? That's why we walk together in community. That's why we gather. That's why we sing songs. That's why we do the things that we do. Because that's what God does for us and among us. And that's what he's doing in our, in our lives and in our community. He's helping us get rid of the Rubik's Cube lies that we believe about all these different areas of life. And getting us more firm in what is true about who we are and who he is and how he made us and how things work. He's helping us not conform to the patterns of the world but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. He's getting the stupid stuff out and putting the good stuff back in. And then we worship and serve this. <laughs> this is how we return. Sometimes it starts with comparison. That's where the seed is planted. Then the plant grows. So we rip it out at its root. And it begins with truth. Before we sing, let me, uh, let me tell you five, five things to work your, work your way through. This will be really, really fast. Five things about idols that will help you identify yours. One, idols are expensive. Okay, so uh, follow the money. Follow the money. A lot of times we're investing a lot of dollars in the things that we're devoting ourselves to other than the Lord. Idols are expensive. That's the first one. So follow the money. Second one, idols are uh, they're thought-consuming. So track your mental patterns. What do you... What are you daydreaming about? Like when you're not focused on something else, where does your mind go? Where's your, where's your fantasy life? What are the things that you're just in an unhealthy way, like dreaming up, you know, and stuff like that? What are the unhealthy things that you're entertaining? Uh, that'll give you some direction toward an idol in your life. Third thing, idols are, uh, they're time consuming. So track your, just track your time. Track your time. Now, those three things right there, those of you who are parents are like, man, he just described my kids. (laughs) 
my kids are expensive. And my kids take up all my thoughts and they take up all my time. A list like this is, should not be something where you're like, if one of these things is the case, then that's an idol. You're looking for like a five out of five on this list. Maybe four out of five. But those three, does not, those, that doesn't mean that your kids are idols and you need to do something about it, you know? Those things, three things are really practical. The fourth one is this. Idols are, they're defining. That's where the problem comes in. Idolatry, a lot of times, these are, they're good things, you know? People, places, things, ideas, actions, those are all good. But when we make them play a role they aren't supposed to play. That's when it becomes bad. So if your children are defining for you, if you find all your identity and worth in being a parent, that's, that's a problem. If you find all your identity and worth in being a spouse, it's a problem. If you are riddled with insecurity because you're not in a relationship, it's a problem. If your possessions define you, if the, your house defines you, if certain ideas define you, if it's de- defining, then that's where you really need to pay attention. Um, that's the fourth thing. The fifth thing is uh, idols are essential. Like you can't, you could not live without this. They're essential. It terrifies you. And I don't mean like, and I, to go back to kids, I don't mean like the thought of living without your kids is terrible. Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, does it define you so much that you don't know who you are anymore without that? That if a hurricane came along and destroyed your entire house and all your possessions went away, would you be lost? Would you be, in an, in an identity sense, would you be lost? If your worst case scenarios came true, would it destroy your life to the point where you, don't, you just don't have any clue who you would be anymore. So those are, those are problems. And that doesn't mean that you, if you realize, like, man, I've been, I've been idolizing this person or this place or this thing. I need to go destroy that person or that place or that thing. That's not what I'm saying. What you do is you go back and you figure out, what, what truth have I exchanged improperly? So I don't know where this fits with you. And you might be sitting here and be like, man, just... Hush, man, I don't, this, doesn't, this doesn't meet me at all. I don't struggle with idolatry. I hope that you don't. I hope that you're sitting there and be like, man, I'm, I haven't exchanged the truth of God for a lie about any of this stuff. I haven't worshipped and given myself to anything other than the Lord. I hope that that's the case. But I kind of figure that most of us probably have something. So you, he didn't make you to live that way. He didn't design you to live that way. So you work in reverse, you figure out what's the Rubik's Cube that I'm believing and giving myself to, what's the truth that God has given us, and ask Him to reverse the exchange, to plant the truth back in you. So I don't know where it meets you, um, I know where it meets me, and now I have to deal with that in my own life, you have to deal with that in your life. So we're going to respond a little bit to this. So stand up if you would. Stand up and just ask the Lord to ask Him to just assess
And we're going to sing in just a second, and we're going to sing songs that connect to this, so just be ready to respond there. But as the band comes back, just, just ask him. Just uh, where's, the, where's the Rubik's Cube for me? Is it with people? Is it with things? Is it with ideas? Is it... What are the things defining you? What are the things so essential that to live without them you would be lost in, a, in the deep, deep ways? And just ask him very simply to reverse that exchange that has happened. Take that Rubik's Cube, that whatever the lies are, the incorrect thinking, to take that away and to put his truth back in there. To help you to think correctly about people and stuff and actions and... God, we know that um, we know that you freed us from sin and from death, and we're no longer locked in and tied down to the things that um, things that we were drowning in. But now we are, we're free, and we have these choices, and we need your help in that exchange of belief. Help us to confess the the times we've been uh, forcing something to play the role it wasn't designed to play. Someone or something. Help us to confess and to repent of that. But we we can't rip out those lies from the root. We need you to do that. Our desire is for you to be primary and for for people and places and things and ideas and actions to play the role you designed them to play. For spouses to play the proper role. For kids to function the way that you designed them to function. For possessions to, to carry the right kind of weight in our lives. We've misplaced them and we get things out of whack. We just need you to help us sort it out. That from our deep joy in you, everything plays the the role the way you designed to be played. So help us, Lord. Um, Sin our response of singing. May we, may we sing these truths. May they be real prayers that uh, that we mean from 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 our depths. And even if it's not where we are currently, it's maybe we're about to sing some things of where we want to be. So maybe that's our perspective. Um, Whatever it is, Lord. Help us to sing and respond in spirit and in truth.